So, Tyler Eng, welcome to the Adaptive Zone podcast. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. Cool. So, before we get started, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your professional work? Sure. Yeah. So, um, my name's Tyler. I'm a doctor of physical therapy. I'm a board certified orthopedic specialist and strength certified strength and conditioning specialist. I primarily uh, work with running athletes uh, through my own business called Move Space Physical Therapy and Performance. Um, I'm based in San Diego, California, great running mecca of of the West Coast. But uh, but I work with a lot of my clients digitally, so I'm I'm enjoying you know getting to know running networks like all over the country and the world a little bit too. So yeah, cool. that's just a little bit about me. And you put out a lot of good stuff on Instagram, don't you? Could you share your Instagram handle for anyone who finds today's episode in, enjoyable and wants to check you out? Sure. Yeah, it's at uh, Tyler Ng, which is my name, T-Y-L-E-R-E-N-G. And yeah, I'm glad you like the content as a fellow runner and coach. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's fun fun to put out stuff that you enjoy. Yeah, so we're gonna, I asked you to come on the show today to talk to us a little bit about how you handle slow running. I mean, slow in inverted commas, right? Like, slow is a relative term. But mm -hmm. I wanted to chat with you a little bit about how you work with people on um, their their version of slow running, right? So long, slow distance, endurance runs, this kind of stuff. And um, I get a lot of questions about this, and I wanted to see what you think in terms of do you do you do a lot of running programming for your athletes that that you or they might describe as like slow running? Yes. So I think to answer your first part is about slow running. I do think it's it's something that's pretty important for the majority of runners. Uh, but I think there's also some context that might change what slow running means to a beginner runner versus an intermediate and advanced runner. I think when we talk about slow running, I think we have to understand like what's the point of running slow? Because I think mm -hmm. a lot of runners are like, well, I want to run faster in my marathon, right? It's like, so I should probably run faster during most of my runs to get faster. I mean, it kind of makes sense intuitively, but not to get too much into the science, but when we look at physiology, it actually doesn't really work that way where we're running faster all the time because we end up using an energy system that is less efficient when we're running faster all the time. That's not really made to help us last longer in a distance race like a marathon. So slower running actually allows us to build the endurance that runners need to last longer, recover faster between those bigger distances. So that's like, I guess, how I describe, you know, why slower running is critical to performance in distance running. And this is not, um, you know, theoretical. This is like, you know, very science driven too. We've got a lot of evidence looking at how slower running relative to the runner can help improve your performance with distance running, like half marathon, marathon, even 5K, et cetera. So that's why, I guess that's why I really am um, a big supporter of slower running. And I think your second question was if uh, regarding my programming for uh, my runners, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So I think a lot of them do ask me like, well, yeah, why are we doing slow? And then like, you know, is what is slow to them? And I think it just depends on who the runner is. 
Because I've put out posts saying, yeah, slow running will help you run faster. And then I'll get some comments saying like, no, that's not true. That's that's BS. Like, what are you, what are you talking about? Like, what are you talking about, Tyler? You got to run fast to run fast. But if we're comparing ourselves to certain elite runners, they're actually doing pretty slow running relative to them. If we look at Kipchoge, he's doing his slow runs are like eight minute mile pace. That's like recovery mm -hmm. run to him. But to another runner, that is like tempo running. Yeah. So I think we got to be very, you know, add some context to the slow running too. It's like, it's very relative to the runner. And, you know, having the slow runs in your schedule is not just going to help you with the endurance part too, but it's also going to help you last longer and avoid injuries, which I think mm -hmm. is the most common, most common thing that I think we see in like beginner runners when they're training, they're just trying to like ramp up their mileage and go faster and faster, but they end up getting kind of burnt out and suffering some of these overused injuries we kind of see commonly. I'm not sure if that answered your question completely, kind of went off there, but um, I think that's where my head goes when I'm people are asking me about why to do slow running. Yeah, so you mentioned that when you are running slow, and you did specify that it is slow relative to your um, capability, but you said that uh, when you do that, that you would develop certain energy systems or specific energy system more so than others. Can you tell us a little bit about, more about what you mean there? Sure. So I think to simplify it, there's so your body has multiple different energy systems it uses, depending on how hard you work out. Um, I think to really simplify it, I think of it as like two, there's two kind of main groups of energy systems you kind of want to consider. You have one, your aerobic system. That just means you're using more oxygen as your primary source to develop energy. And then you have your anaerobic system. That means you're using less oxygen, you're using more of the kind of like your blood sugar, you have, you know, stuff like glucose in your body that is easy to use quick, fast energy. Think of like um, uh, when you are running very fast, doing a sprint, you can maintain that sprint for only a certain amount of time before you kind of run out of energy. It's because you're using up all that available glucose in your body before you can finish that run. That's a very simplified way to put it. There's obviously some more nuance to that, but that is what we're trying to avoid is using the energy system that's more anaerobic during the majority of our runs because mm. that's not going to end up building our actual running endurance compared to our aerobic system which is more more based on using oxygen using fat which is super super high in energy and we can utilize that to last much longer if we tend to run in this slower pace. Okay. So let's say I took up running quite recently. And well, actually, before I get to that, how do you know what is slow for you? Is it just based on how you feel? Or do you use something like your heart rate? Or do you go off a specific pace target? How do you decide for your mm -hmm. runners? What's slow for them? Okay, I'm glad you asked that because I think this is what I get asked all the time as far as like, how do you gauge slow? And if you go on the internet, I feel like there's a lot of different answers, which is can get confusing. You can go by pace, but 
the problem with going by pace is that not everyone knows what an easy run, I, I have air quotes, easy run is um, based off pace alone, unless you're more experienced as a runner. So if you're a new runner, you don't know what easy is. You might be doing, thinking you're doing something easy when it's actually maybe a little harder on your body than you believe. So we need something that's a little more objective, something that's easier to measure for our newer runners. So I like to do um, heart rate zones to help gauge what is an easy run, what is a, you know, a tempo run and a hard run. Mm -hmm. So with heart rate zones, if you're in a certain heart rate, a lower heart rate zone, those tend to mean that you're running at a relatively easier, slower pace. And if you stay in that heart rate zone, you can prevent yourself from running too fast, too often, leading to burnout or training the wrong energy system. Mm -hmm. So with your heart rate zones, a lot of people will use something like Garmin or Strava. Uh, I don't know if Nike app, I know a lot of people use that, has zones on it. Um, Apple Watch, a lot of people use. What zone would they be aiming for to keep their heart rate in for it to be classified as easy? Right. So I think where there is also a little more confusion is that there's two different zone models on the internet. So yeah, this is why I think a lot of runners have confusion about what slow running is because there's, right. <laughs> there's so much different information and ways we interpret it. But the two main there's there's two main zone models for heart rate uh, running. There's a three zone model where we have three zones called zone one, two, and three. And if you're going by that model, easy running tends to be in zone one. Now the other common model is zone a zone five model where we have five heart rate zones. Easy running tends to be in zone one and two, but primarily in zone two is where we're training our aerobic system the most efficiently, meaning we're burning the most fat most efficiently. We're using our energy that our body has to its maximum effort to run the greatest distance possible without burning out too fast. Okay. So I personally use the five zone model because I think a lot of, one, a lot of watches have adopted that model. So, you know, I think it's easier for clients to understand it because their watches are already using it. Um, and I prescribe a lot of my running, especially for my new runners, based off their heart rate zone. So instead of saying, go at a certain pace, I'll be like, all right, you're going to run uh, five miles today, all in zone two, and just stay in that zone. Um, and I like, the I like using the heart rate more than the paces a lot because it really does show to your newer runners especially what an easy run feels like. And what a hard run feels like too, because on the flip side, a lot of runners, when they, when I ask them to do a hard run, they might not be running hard enough, mm -hmm. but if we give them the heart rate monitor, tell them to run in a certain zone, for example, like zone four, they have to really push hard to get in that zone four when they, if had they not used the heart rate monitor, maybe they were still in zone three and they weren't quite pushing hard as hard as they thought. So it works both ways where it keeps them from running too fast but we can push them harder when they need to. Mm -hmm. So I like that a lot because it really educates the new runners on what easy and hard is. Yeah, yeah, that's very helpful. So 
it would it be fair to say if you're looking at your watch or your app or whatever it is that you're using to track your heart rate and it displays zones if there's three zones your easy runs will be in zone one and if there's five zones you're going to try and aim for your easy runs to be in zone two does that sound about right yeah correct and i think if you look up stuff on on the internet you're going to find those are probably what you're going to find most common as the easy running zones zone one in a three in a zone three model or zone two in a five zone model cool okay so what if I can't keep my heart rate in zone two. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's that's another common question because people are like, oh I yeah, know. that sounds great. <laughs> like, oh my God, that sounds great. I can just run easy and it's going to feel good. But what the heck? My heart rate is like skyrocketing. Um, yeah, so I think... I think there's a few options that I usually suggest to my runners. Tyler, can I interrupt? Um, I know this is... Yeah. poor um, interview technique. But before I get you down to that question, could you give us an example of what it, what would be a typical zone two heart rate just so people can orientate? Gotcha. Yeah. So I th- so typical zone two heart rate will, I think that will slightly vary by definition, but usually it's around 60 to 70% of your heart rate max. So what would that be for, let's say me, what would be a, or you? Good question. I, that will also vary person to person. There are okay. um, calculators and equations you be used to to figure out your zones. A lot of watches kind of automatically do it using certain equations based off your age, your max heart rate, your resting heart rate. Um, there's also an equation by Dr. Phil Maffetone. He's a kind of made famous a little bit of easy running and he has his own equation. So yeah, I wish I could give you a straight up answer is like, oh, these are the heart rates that you would need to be in zone two. Yeah. But there is a lot of variance because it okay. depends on your age, your fitness. So there's a lot of personalization to it. Which, so you can't just yeah. use 120 to 140. You have to figure out yeah. what your zones are either by being guided by your watch, your app, or plugging the numbers into an online calculator to to work it out for you. And then you'd know what your zone two heart rate is. Correct. And okay. I think on that note, it's important to know that your zones will change over time based on your fitness level. Yeah. So if you get more fit, your zones will change. Your zone two will end up being maybe higher, a higher heart rate uh, spectrum as you improve in your fitness. So that's something to keep in mind too, is that it's, it's pretty dynamic and it's not like set in stone uh, forever. Okay. So let's say I have figured out what my zones are and I can't seem to keep my heart rate in zone two. It's always going up into zone three or four and that's where we left it. So what should mm-hmm. I do about that? Right. So I think I've heard different thoughts on how to approach this. I think the simplest solution is to run slower. You know, I think a lot of people might be afraid to run slower because of many reasons. You know, ego is always one reason. Or I know people who run with friends and they don't want to slow down because their friends are going to go past them. And, you know, run clubs and running groups are a big part of people's, you know, maybe social circle. And 
I understand that can be a little tricky. But if you really are thinking about um, improving your running, your performance, um, then, you know, training down into the appropriate zone, I think is really going to boost the effectiveness of your running. So running slower is probably the most obvious solution, but people come back saying, well, I tried that, Tyler. I tried running slower. I'm still in zone three and four. What, what the heck do I do now? Well, <laughs> you could run even slower because I think some people still don't run slow enough. Yeah. <laughs> you can still run pretty like, like, yes. When I say like slow, I mean slow. Like could someone out walk you? Yeah, potentially. That's how slow we're talking. If you truly can't slow down enough or it's just really hard for you to do, I'm personally okay with people walking in zone two for a period of time because it's still building that aerobic base. You're still training in the right zone. You just might not be running yet. And it's not forever, it's temporary. Mm -hmm. So I am okay with people walking um, to a point but I think in the end of the day, you can run slower. I think you just haven't ran slow enough yet. I don't know. What are, I'm curious what you what your thoughts are on that. I come down to the problem is you're running too fast until proven otherwise, right? That's like always the first part of call because 99 times out of 100, people are saying, I can't run that slow. And it's not true because you can run at zero miles per hour. You can run on the spot. So that's an easy way to determine, can I run and keep my heart rate in zone two? Like run on the spot. If you can run on the spot and not have your heart rate go into zone three, then you just start moving forward ever so slightly, right? Mm -hmm. and then you're running really slow. The trouble is some people can't, right? As soon as they start running on the spot even, or at a mm -hmm. minimal pace, like let's say 15 minutes per, kilometer, uh, per mile or something like that, then... So they're running slower than walking, their heart rate still shoots up. And the thing I always tell people is because the difference between running and walking is flight. So when you run, there's a period of time where both feet are off the ground. And when you're walking, that's not the case. And if you are not fit and strong enough to actually lift yourself into flight and land again and then do it again without your heart rate shooting up, then essentially that's why you can't keep your heart rate in zone two is because you lack that fitness. So the best way to do it would be to run at the slowest pace you possibly can, which keeps your heart rate as close to zone two as you can. And then have what the way I do it is walk breaks. So you do, you walk, you run, for, it might be 30 seconds, your heart rate goes into zone three, then you walk for like a minute, it comes back into zone two, and then you continue that. So you're trying to keep your heart rate in that zone two as long as you can. That's the way I approach it. But most of the time, it's just that people haven't tried running slow enough because they'll be like, oh, I can't run that slow. I'd, I'd have to walk. And then you look at the trace of, you know, on the back end, like what they actually run. And it was like six minutes per kilometer. I was like, you could you could run like way slower than that. You could run it like eight minutes per kilometer. Oh, so um, a lot of the time, the problem is people's perception of how slow they can actually run. Yeah, I think a lot of runners are scared of running slower. Sometimes they're afraid that like they're not going to improve. Mm. And I, I can understand that to a point where it's like, you know, because I think we're sometimes in a mindset of pushing hard and runners love to love runners really do love pushing, you know, through pain. Like, I think that's something that we've 
trained to almost enjoy that really that grit. And, you know, we hear big influencers in the running world talk about pushing through those mental barriers, which is is certainly, you know, true and applicable um, when it comes to like race day and in parts of training. But training should not always be that way all the time. You shouldn't have to be struggling constantly. Um, it's not sustainable. So I think if you if you acknowledge that and like check your ego at the door, you can slow down enough to get your heart rate in the right zone. And I like the I like the suggestion of the walking breaks too. That's like another solution too. If you truly are struggling with that, just get some walking breaks in, break it up. That will keep you from your heart rate from flying to the higher zones. Yeah, because another thing you can do is send people like on power walks where they have to get their heart rate as high as they can. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And then you get them to run as slow as they can. And then that gives you the feel of the spectrum between how fast you can walk and how slow you can run and monitor your heart rate during that time. So if you experiment with that, a lot of the time you can find, um, oh, yeah, I can actually I can I can switch between walking really fast and running really slow and keep my heart rate in the right zone and then. Well, a good question would be, how long do they have to do that before you would expect them to be able to run continuously um, and keep their, you know, say they're using walk breaks or they're mm -hmm. having to walk, how long would they have to train, like, to get it to the point where they can run without their heart rate shooting up into zone three? That's a good question. I think it definitely, well, it definitely varies from person to person, but I think if you're doing it consistently, I think you should expect to see changes within, you know, month to month. Hmm. It's a slow, it's a slow progress. But I think if you were to take, if you were to do like one run, standardize a run, like let's say you ran three, three miles in zone two, and you try to go your fastest you can do while staying in zone two, then you try to repeat that run in a month after doing a lot of zone two training, I would expect that you'd probably be able to run a little bit um, faster or yeah. you could even or yeah after about a month of training you could even do it so that you're maybe doing a timed run of like 30 minute run in zone two and just see how far you can get mm -hmm. and then repeat that run the next month too so there's a few ways you can track it but i would expect month to month we should be seeing changes they're not quick they're not you're not going to see it week to week as much but i think month to month you should see them start yeah. to change and you know, especially if you do it for like four or five, six months, I think you'll see some very meaningful changes in your endurance. Yeah, it's funny you should say that about holding your heart rate at, um, in zone two and run the fastest you're able to without it exceeding, because that's actually one of the tests I use for testing people's aerobic uh, fitness development. So we would, I call it the 40 minute test. And it's a, it's a variation on the Maffetone method test, except this one's based on the way the the heart rate zones as we uh, calculated them from a fitness test rather than Maffetone method uses like a formula. So mm. this one, let's say for me, the top of zone two for me is 148 beats per minute. So the 40 minute test for me would be hold for 148, an average heart rate of 148 for 40 minutes. And then we take your average pace and then we repeat that. Usually I give it about eight weeks, but repeat that exact test. And then what we expect to see is an improvement in the average pace without at the same heart rate because I'm more 
efficient, essentially. That's which is basically what you're saying, mm-hmm. isn't it? That's the sounds like exactly the same test. Yeah, basically, I think if, as long as you standardize whatever the run is at the yeah. heart rate you're trying to hold, just repeat it after a month or eight weeks, then yeah, you should be able to see if you're making progress or not. But if you're doing it right and you're doing the majority of your running, 80% of your volume should roughly be around zone two, then you should be seeing those changes occurring month to month. Is there a way that people can be more confident that their zone two is actually correct for them? You know, if they if they are like, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to go as slow as I can. I can't keep my heart rate in the right zone. But then maybe in the back of their mind, they're thinking, is this the right zone for me? Like, how, how do you do you get people to use their watch or like, what if they don't have a watch? Do you have a particular calculator that you like or something like that? You know, there's a lot of calculators online. I don't know if there's, there's, I wouldn't say there's a specific calculator that I would say is like better than others. Um, you could really find any. And I think anything that uses, I personally use stuff that uses the Carvonin formula. If anyone wants to get really technical. Um, no, that's I just don't know that one. <laughs> <laughs> that's just a way um, uh, to assess, um, uh, your specific heart rate zones based off your max heart rate and your resting heart rate. So you do have to get those measurements. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's even even simpler way to do this without a watch and without even heart rate zones. Um, and I, you know, call it the talk test. And that is that's a very uh, commonly used test in the running world to gauge easy running. So the talk test is basically. Um, a test where while you're running, can you hold a conversation without, you know, huffing and puffing? Can you like if I'm talking right the way I'm talking to you right now, this is how I should be able to talk while mm. I'm running. <clears throat> if I'm breathing and I'm like, hey, hey, Matt, I'm happy to be here on the podcast. <sighs> if I'm if I'm trying to catch my breath between every word, I'm running too fast. OK, so. And if we're able to hold a conversation, people tend to be in the heart rate zone that they need to perform easy running, tend to be in that zone two area. It's not a perfect test, but it's a great ballpark assessment. Mm. I think when, if you don't have access to a watch or maybe your watch is kind of unreliable sometimes, you know, we know these heart rate monitors aren't perfect and they can be a little crazy. The talk test is a great way to, you know, assess it on the fly and, You'll, you'll, you'll notice too, like, oh yeah, if you can hold a conversation it feels easier, shouldn't mm. be laborious. Um, I use it as a great excuse to maybe if I'm alone running, I'll, I'll, I'll call my parents and check in, see how they're doing. And if I can make sure I'm holding a conversation with them, I know I'm running just fine. Yeah, that's a good one. So you could talk to your mom for like 20 minutes and then ask her, could you tell I was running? And that can be the test. Like you can you could, objectify yeah. it. And if she can't tell, then you're in zone two. And if she can tell, you have to slow down. <laughs> yeah, you know, parents parents don't lie, so that's a that's great, right. It's a great way to you test it. You have to it. call someone honest. So yeah, I really like that one, and that's nice because as well, you don't have to worry that your zones are correct for you, and you also don't need equipment, so you don't need a heart rate monitor to do it that way. So especially if you're mm-hmm. just getting into running, then that would be a really good one. I would say mm-hmm. that the majority of people who run. Um, like if you go to running clubs, I was just at one last night actually, and 
people are talking, but they are gasping the whole time. And it's <laughs> it basically any running club that you go to, everyone's in zone three. Just like that's just a rule <laughs> of thumb across the board. Every running club I've ever been to never runs in zone two. <laughs> yeah, the it's funny. Yeah, the the club I go to, the you know the coach often tells them it's like hey, make sure the whole of the conversation. He 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 promotes the talk test, which is great, but. Yeah, I don't think it's clarified what a conversation is. It's like it means it means you can really actually speak and maybe read a paragraph or, you know, instead it's people are are struggling or they end up speeding up like throughout the run, too. It's like they start the conversation, but then for some reason they're or their heart rate may be changing over the run, too. You might need to slow down Mm. at towards the latter half of the run because fatigue could be setting in. The course, the terrain changes. If you're going uphill, like you, your heart rate's going to go up if you're maintaining the same pace. So, you know, those are things that I think people don't account for. But if you can keep talking the whole way, then you know you're keeping in the right range. Okay. I have a, a question a little bit more for a more advanced runner. So let's say they are, they have been running a while and they can keep the heart rate in zone two for their long runs pretty well, which would be the target zone for developing that aerobic system. Now, as they are running, let's say they're doing three hours, right? So it's really long or 30 kilometers or how many miles is that? You're American, Tyler. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I mean, is it like 18 miles? I could be totally off. Okay, so 18 miles, 30 kilometers or three hours, right? So we've got everyone, everyone's orientated, no matter how you do your training. So let's say for the first two hours, they can keep their heart rate pretty steadily in zone two. But as they go into that last hour, they notice their heart rate's going up and up and up, and they're really struggling, and they're really slowing down to try and keep the heart rate in the zone. So they've got heart rate drift, right? It's drifting up as their workout is getting longer. Should they then keep their heart rate in the right zone and slow down, or should they keep a relatively uniform pace and allow their heart rate to drift up into zone three? Hmm, I think that it's a good question. And I think context definitely can help answer this, depending, especially for our more experienced runners. So I think sometimes you could have a run like that where maybe drift is okay, because maybe you do want to train in a higher running zone towards the end of a run, because in a race, especially yeah. that's probably what's going to happen your your heart rate is going to climb throughout the race because you're trying to run that race as fast as possible mm-hmm. so it is a little bit um sports specific so if that is part of the plan i think that that is it is okay for that drift to happen if it's planned if you are trying to stay in zone two the whole run then slowing down may be necessary to to do it at that point and you may want to figure out, um, you know, earlier in the earlier in the two hour run, what your pace was. Perhaps maybe you were on the upper limits of zone two, and maybe if you started on the lower limits, the drift yeah. would be attenuated. That way, you're not, um, yeah, drifting too fast too soon or into zone three too quick. But I think, you know, I I do think that there is some benefit to increasing the zone intensity towards the tail end of a long run. If you're training for something like a, a marathon or ultras, anything like that, um, because it, it is inevitable in a race day, your heart rates, you're not, you're not racing in zone two. I think that should right. be made clear too. You're, yeah. 
This is for training purposes. We don't expect you to run at a race at this zone. Um, so yeah, I think there's, it just depends on the context. And if you're planning, if it's pre-planned, then I think it's fine for that drift to happen. If you do, I think you should push it really hard at that point. I should, I think, um, there is some, uh, thought that maybe staying in zone three is not as beneficial as pushing higher into like zones four, Mm. where you can really, um, really spend time training these higher energy systems and the increasing the neuromuscular demand on your body running at that intensity that kind of helps prepare you for the the speed component of the race more so than zone three some people think zone three is more of this like jack of all trades kind of zone and you don't really get the best benefits of you know slow running or fast running it's like this in between Mm. Um, I think it's still up to debate how much of that is true, but I think if that's where you're thinking, you really want to work on the speed part, skip zone three, push the zone four and just crank it for that tail end. If that's your goal. Yeah. I mean, my experience with zone three, cause sometimes you hear people refer to it as like junk miles, which I don't really mm. agree with the way I look at it is I'll do more zone three runs closer to events. Um, because we're doing like race specificity stuff, but also I expect they're going to spend, like most recreational runners, spend quite a lot of time in zone three anyway. So they've already kind of developed that speed and efficiency at that pace pretty much as well as they're going to. So then a polarized, uh, you know, slower runs and faster intervals, uh, sorry, slower, longer runs and faster interval runs is going to be, is going to develop the systems that they haven't worked on as much. So I don't think there's a good or bad there there is just a okay what kind of athlete are you working with and what time Mm -hmm. of year is it and that helps you decide what runs are more appropriate and i suppose something that we didn't clarify as well is that we're not suggesting that you would do all of your runs slow right correct (laughs) yeah definitely we're not doing all of them um i mean the 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 golden rule right now based off um coaching and in the in recent research is that 80 percent of our running should be in this slower zone while the other 20% should be in zones three or higher. Um, and obviously that could change based off the season you're in, you know, if you're in the, you know, you're probably doing more slow running in the early part of your season to build, build your aerobic base. But when it gets close to the race day, we can definitely cut that down, spend more time in these higher training zones. So it's very, very dependent on where you're at in your training and what your goals are. Mm. Yeah. And what you're lacking, because it may be that you're already doing plenty of running in zone two. And if you are, then great. You may need to work on something else like uh, sprint intervals or something. But in my experience, and the reason we got talking about it is that most runners and a lot, you know, we say more experience, but to be honest, I'd have not found that a lot of experienced runners still do most of their long runs in zone three. You know, I'd say that's more common than not. And it was what I did as well. Like I'm saying, like, is this as if it's like other people? But I totally did that yeah. for about five no, years I'm, when I got into running. I'm guilty as well. Definitely. Like I have, I have no clue what I trained at in my first marathon as far as <laughs> right. zone training. Like I have, I mean, geez, like who knows? I was probably in zone three and four for like almost like the most of thing. my miles. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty pretty crazy. But um, but yeah, no, I've definitely I've taken 
more experienced runners. Um, and when I say experienced, I mean runners who are running competitively uh, for like over 10 years. And I take their watch. I was like, hey, yeah, how'd that easy run go? And I look at their watch data from their Garmin. And I'm like, why is everything in zone three? And there's even some zone four minutes yeah, on here on your, on easy, your run. easy run. <laughs> I'm like, what is going on? And it's, so yeah, you're right. It's not just a beginner problem. It, more advanced runners fall in this trap too. So I think it's definitely, definitely important to bring up to them as well. I think it's also worth touching on the customizing that you mentioned earlier, because just yesterday I had this come up with a new athlete I'm working with that her like threshold and her heart rate zones are like shifted way up. And you see this quite a bit where even when she's just like jogging and can talk comfortably, she's at like 160 beats per minute. Do you know what I mean? So her, you couldn't take the sort of 220 minus your age that you often see mm -hmm. and apply that to her because she'll basically have to walk everything all the time, you know? So yeah. um, trying to make sure that your zones are appropriate for you, whether you use an online calculator or your watch figures it out for you, which some of them do. Um, but yeah, not if it looks like completely wrong, then it might be, you know, because there is a bell curve to how people's heart rate responds to exercise, where some people will have a lower heart rate across all intensities and some people will have a higher heart rate across all intensities, but most people will be more similar in the middle. Yeah, there can be a lot of variance. And I think it is important to keep in mind, like there's so many things that can affect what your training zones, your heart rate zones are. So yeah, I think definitely, I think people should just play around with them to see how they feel. And if they use the talk test as your, as your mm. backup as well, see if it matches your heart rate zone. If, cause if you can talk pretty easily, but for some reason you're being told you're in like a higher training zone, then maybe the, the numbers are definitely off for That's you. That's a good point, then yeah. That could be um, maybe a good time to consult a coach or a physio to maybe help you figure out those training zones more personalized for you. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. I never thought to use that talk test as a sort of, as a backup check. You know, I think that's a good way of looking at it. Um, that you have to trust that then the person is actually able to talk and not just say, I could talk, you know? <laughs> totally. Yeah. I'll have to, I'll have to give some examples of that in my content. That's a good one. Yeah. That's a good one. This is not the, a pass on the talk test. This is a pass. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I like that. Okay. But well, I think we'll wrap it up there. I think that's a good place to end. So if, um, if people have enjoyed the episode today, could you just, uh, recap for us, how would they get in touch with you and follow what you're up to? Sure. So the best way to keep in touch with me, follow me is uh, on my Instagram page at uh, Tyler Ng. Um, that's T-Y-L-E-R-E-N-G. Uh, I post a lot about um, running, heart rate zones. And yeah, just um, anyone out there who's struggling with running injuries or just trying to improve their running performance, I'm always happy to talk with them, have conversations and see how I can help. And if they don't have Instagram, is there somewhere else they can find you? You can find me on Facebook as well. Um, same handle at Tyler Ng uh, as well. Um, yeah, I'm on Facebook. Oh, and TikTok. I can't forget the TikTok. Also, oh, man, you've got Tyler the whole demographic. You've got the kids <laughs> on TikTok. You've got Instagram in the middle and you've got Facebook. You're just getting everyone. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I am on TikTok as well for my Gen Zers out there. So that's also at Tyler Ng as well. Keeping the handles pretty consistent. 
I went and had a look around on TikTok and I honestly felt like I was getting stupider by the second, just like even being on there. So I, I haven't quite got to, to investigate fully yet. <laughs> There's parts of TikTok that are very like actually educational, but oh. you can easily go down the path of, <laughs> you know, of just mindlessness. So it just it very much depends where you go. Well, I suppose it's like anything, isn't it? Like everything's like that um, in terms of internet. It, it depends what you look at. But I guess that was just me sort of quickly scrolling around. I didn't spend any time to, to look into it. Anyway, that's not important. If you're on TikTok, you're listening to this, Tyler's there. If you're on Instagram, he's there too. And Facebook, you can just search Tyler Eng. And um, I'll put links in the description as well. Tyler, it's been really lovely talking to you. It was very enjoyable and informative. So thanks for giving us your time today. Yeah, no, appreciate it, man. It's been fun. Cool. I'll just uh, hang up there one sec. Mm -hmm.